Let's continue to worship our God by reading the scriptures. Today's scripture reading is Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 to 25. You can find the text on the black covered pew Bible on page 30. God will be honored if we stand while reading the words. Genesis 29, verses 15 to 25. The Laban said to Jacob, "Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wage be." Now Laban had two daughters. The name of older was Leah, and the name of younger was Rachel. Leah, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, "I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel." Laban said, "It's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man." Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban. Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made their feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, "What is the least you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me?" This is the word of God. Please be seated. That I'm、uh, going to be preaching this morning is a bit different.、Uh, remember, we are racing through these last chapters of Genesis because. In January,、uh, we are starting a, a whole new、um, perspective for the church, and so my sermon series will be changing from Genesis to the Book of Romans to go along with all the other things. And in the next、uh, couple months, you're going to be hearing a lot about uh, the, uh, the new uh, system that we'll be putting into place beginning in January.、Uh, this is just a teaser for that. But anyway.、Um, So we're racing through. So this this、uh, sermon this morning is actually covering two chapters, really a little bit more than that, but、uh, at least two chapters: chapter twenty nine and chapter thirty.、Uh, and since we don't have time to read that whole thing,、uh, basically in a nutshell, it is、uh, the deceiver being deceived. That's the name of the the, the sermon today: the deceiver being deceived. And it's Jacob who was born a deceiver,、uh, you know, deceived his father, deceived his brother, deceived everybody. Now he's being deceived by Laban, and then he's going to try to deceive Laban through、uh, the, the next twenty years of his life, and it's going to be a back and forth between them, each one trying to outdo the other in terms of、uh, deception. And、uh, getting one over on the other, and what's important about that for us is to recognize that Jacob and Laban and even Esau, Jacob's brother, these guys are typical of the human race. They're not a lot different than you and me.、Uh, you know, they get put into the Bible, and we get to see their life laid out. You know, like Facebook or something. Uh, but uh, they're、uh, they're just like the rest of the human race, and and that's what we're going to be looking at as we look through、uh, these these two chapters today.、Uh, earlier this week, I was listening to a sermon by、uh, Francis Chan, and he was preaching at a conference to pastors, and he spoke on Second Timothy three, the first five verses of that. And he said that those are proof that we have entered into the time just before the return of Jesus Christ. So let's look at those verses. 
from 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5, and it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now there is no question that that passage that we just read is what we are experiencing in our culture today. A recent study given at Case Western Reserve University discovered that millennials consider their generation to be the most narcissistic ever. And as we explained before, narcissism is the love of self. So according to millennials themselves, they consider themselves to be the most narcissistic generation ever. And older adults that were uh, interviewed in this study agreed with them. No other generation has lived out their lives on the internet for everyone else to see. Selfies, Facebook, Twitter, and a host of other mediums have made it possible to become the producer of your own reality show. Add to that the constant barrage of, of parents and educators and media personality and product ads that tell them that they are the best. That, that they can do anything and be anything that they want to be. And it's nearly impossible for them not to be narcissistic. And yet, this is also a generation that is most self-destructive. Suicides, drug overdoses, vaping casualties, these are all at an all-time high. When life doesn't turn out the way these young people have been promised, you can be anything, do anything that you want to be. When it doesn't turn out that way, then escape seems to be the only means for them. Escape into drugs, escape from suicide, or into some other area of life. In the midst of all of that, Christianity stands as an island an island in the midst of the chaos. And it ought to be a place of truth and of, of hope for those who are lost. A, a, a place where they want to go and want to be. <clears throat> Unfortunately, too few Christians have found that truth. Far too many are floundering in the same quicksand of the world around them, failing to drop anger, anchor into the rock of ages. Instead of a life built on eternal granite that is Christ, all too often the foundation of professing Christians is the same narcissistic sand of the unbeliever. But let me point out, what is faced in this generation is not the fulfillment of some prophecy given by Paul in 2 Timothy 3. What we're looking at is the same thing that has been going on since the beginning of time. As we look at Jacob's situation, it becomes very apparent that what Paul wrote about in this great description has been going on since the world began. When humanity chose to seek their own glory rather than to promote God's glory, humanity as a whole became narcissistic, self-centered, self-focused. And so our theme from these two chapters this morning, our theme states, you cannot be passionate about God's glory and live with the same heart and mind as the world. You cannot be passionate about God's glory and have the same mindset that the world around us has. The world is narcissistic. The world is self-focused. You cannot have 
both a self-focused life and a God-glorifying life. It's an impossibility. So I've consolidated the 18 characteristics that Paul describes of those who live in the end times. And by the way, when Paul talks about the end times, he's not talking about something off in the future. He's talking about the end times, which are the times from the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ until he returns. But we don't have time to go into all those details today. But all of life fits into those 18 characteristics. So the Apostle Paul provides us these 18 characteristics. I have divided them into six tendencies of human narcissism, with each tendency having three of those uh, characteristics that Paul has shared with us. And we're going to see how they were part of the human psyche within the story, chapter 29 and chapter 30, of Jacob and Laban, and even, as I said, of Esau, Jacob's brother. So our first one, the first tendency of narcissism grows out of unbelief. And unbelief makes people self-prospering. Now, when I'm talking about unbelief, I am not talking about the fact that they don't believe that there's a God or they don't believe in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the unbelief in terms of what Christ did when he died on the cross, rose from the dead. For we tend to believe, as we are talking about, as I said before Sunday school this morning, that Jesus died for me. And we have made the cross about me. That's not the gospel. We are beneficiaries of what Christ has done, but he has not done it for you. He has not done it for me. He did it for his Father's glory. Jesus Christ lived his life as a God-glorifying individual. And so unbelief, that is unbelief in the true meaning of the cross and the true meaning of the resurrection, unbelief makes people self-prospering. From the moment that Eve took that bite from that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it is quite apparent that human beings as a whole make choices in life that they believe will make them prosper. We don't generally make decisions in our lives that says, well, I want everybody else to do good and I want me to do bad. We live for ourselves. Laban had done that. All the way back when we saw Abraham's servant come to get Rebekah for Isaac, Laban had made his choices so that he would prosper from that. And now her son Jacob shows up, and Laban has perfected this pension for self-prospering. Oh, seems like he's being blessed by God. Well, I'm going to keep him around so that I'm blessed. Well, Paul shares three uh, characteristics of those whose view of life is to be self-prospering. The first one is the love of money or the love of materialism. Love for the things of this life, which takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Eve chose something material, that piece of fruit, over living for God's glory. Laban chose to have Jacob live with him because he saw God prospering Jacob. Jacob chose to stay with Laban because he would get this most glorious, beautiful woman as a wife and at the same time steal Laban's uh, cattle. The second characteristic that we are given was the love of self. The love of money and the love of self. Well, isn't that just what narcissism is? Narcissism is the love of self. It is being focused on self. The love of self. 
Every human being is narcissistic. Even those who we would consider to be self-destructive, they are narcissistic. You see, the reason people are hurting themselves is to get attention for themselves. Even suicides occur because people believe that they should be getting more out of life than they actually are getting, and therefore, since I deserve more and I'm not getting it, I want to leave this world. Jacob's love of self caused him to flee from Esau. Instead of confessing his failings, he fled. Laban's love of self made him change Jacob's wages in these two chapters ten times. And then Paul gives a third characteristic, and that is lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure. Our Constitution makes that a right. All right? The pursuit of what? What? Pursuit of happiness. That is a right as an American. That's a narcissistic right written into our Constitution. We have the right to happiness. While it's a core value of America, it is not a biblical value. God wants us to promote the kingdom of Christ, not the kingdom of Chris. No matter what the cost, Christ should be all and in all. It was Jacob's love of pleasure that allowed Laban to sneak Leah into the tent instead of Rachel. Our guess is that Jacob was stoned out of his gourd, that he was drunk as a skunk, or whatever other term you want to use. He didn't know who it was that he was sleeping with. When we look at this concept of self-prospering, there is only one individual who has ever lived without that as part of his character and nature, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ resisted the call of prosperity because Jesus Christ is the only person who is not narcissistic. It is our human love of self that makes the name it, claim it preaching so prosperous in our culture today. Jesus Christ instead calls us to die daily to ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. The second tendency of narcissistic individuals is that unbelief makes people self-promoting. So self-prospering, but also self-promoting. Three of the characteristics that belong to this narcissistic tendency are very similar. You're going to pick them out if you went through those 18. He says that, that narcissistic people, I'm paraphrasing that, narcissistic people are proud, arrogant, and conceited. Proud, arrogant, and conceited. Pride makes everything in life about me. Why would anyone think that the whole world really cares about where they went to dinner? Or what their current position, I am at X location. Or even what was it that they ate for dinner? With a picture as well. Joe Schmo just beat level six of Candy Crush. Who cares? And who's Joe Schmo anyway? And yet it's out there for the whole world to see. Well, in our text, it's Jacob. Jacob is Joe Schmo. Think about this. Jacob is a fugitive. He's running away from his brother, running for his life. He's going into, you know, this protective custody of the FBI. Uh, you're supposed to 
do that in secret, right? What's the very first thing that he does when he arrives in Haran? The first thing that he does, he puts himself out there because he sees a beautiful female. Let me break the rules of this community and culture so everybody talks about me. Let me break the rules. Let me water her flock because she's important and I'm important. I'm something special. What arrogance makes him believe that his new way is better than their old way. Um, little politics here. Sounds like AOC's Green New Deal. The new way, always better. But that's true of every generation. Every generation thinks that my way, our way, is better than our parents' way. And vice versa. It's this pension of the sinful human narcissism that leads to the Twitter wars that we have in American politics. President Trump is undoubtedly as narcissistic as Richard Nixon was, who made the, I'm number one, the uh, sign of presidential politics. Our president's early morning tweets create a tidal wave of response almost every day. But at least he's the president. Look on Twitter or Facebook and you would see that millions of Americans think that they are as important as the president as they put out their statements on Twitter, Facebook, and all the rest. Now contrast that with our Lord Jesus. He cast out demons. He healed people. He even raised people from the dead. And what did he tell them? Don't bother telling anybody about this. You just go home, you know, and share the good news of, of what God is doing in the world. He let other people do his self-promoting, but he tried to play it down. You don't hear the Lord tooting his own horn. He's the only human being that never sinned, the only human being that has ever been able to walk on water without some kind of a platform. The only human being who's able, with a word, to calm a hurricane. The only human being who is able to speak a word and dead people come to life. He could have used that popularity to promote himself to be the king of the world, which is what the people of Israel wanted in John 6. And yet, instead... He lets himself be led to a cross and to die. There's a third tendency of narcissistic individuals. Unbelief makes people self-protecting. Self-protecting. And the three characteristics from 2 Timothy 3 that we're talking about here are these three. Abusive, brutal, Heartless. Laban was heartless when he threatened to kill Jacob right in front of Jacob's wives and kids. Esau's brutal nature came out as he planned Jacob's death because Jacob had tricked him out of his birthright and out of his blessing. Human beings are often helpful. They help other people. We have the flooding down in, in Houston and, and in Texas, and we hear of the heroes that are doing all kinds of things to help people and save people. We hear of those that jump into a burning car to pull somebody out, or dive into a swiftly moving river to save a child, and so much more. But what happens when the choice is to promote other people's reputations? at the expense of your own. What makes cyberbullying so popular today? Because on the playground or at work, you might be too small to bully somebody. You may not be the biggest person there. But today, anyone can be abusive, anyone can be brutal, anyone can be heartless with words, 
listening on some conversations between husbands and wives, and you might think that they are worst enemies. The name-calling, the lifting up of self at the expense of the spouse happens all the time. And nor is it just married couples or cyber bullies that do this. Everyone finds some way to protect himself or herself by manipulation, lying, and deceiving like Laban and Jacob did, or even stroking the other person's ego so that they get on your side and then you get what you want. There's so many different ways that we protect ourselves at the expense of other people. Again, we find the contrast with Jesus startling. He had the power to command those ways to obey him, to do anything that he wanted, or even as he hung there on the cross to call 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set himself free. And yet the Bible says that he opened not his mouth. After his resurrection, he claimed that all divine authority had been given to him. Boy, what would you do with divine authority? What would you do to those people who have treated you badly? What would you do to those who have mocked you or ridiculed you? What would you do? Would you do what Jesus did? Would you offer them eternal life? Would you say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest? He didn't seek vengeance on his enemies, but he called his enemies to come into relationship with his Father in heaven. The fourth tendency of narcissistic people, unbelief makes people self-perverting. Self-perverting. You know, I've mentioned it many times that the American public spends literally trillions of dollars trying to change themselves from what they are to what they think they ought to be. Using cosmetics, tattoos, jewelry, facial lifts, and more to change their looks and their features. And not all of that is necessarily wrong. Many, much of it isn't wrong. But it is human tendency, narcissistic human tendency, to try to change and improve on the way that God made me. And yet that's the least of what we do to ourselves. Vaping is causing severe illness and even death all across the United States, especially amongst young people today. But it has become the new means of getting a fix. And so even though there is a chance that I will hurt myself, I'll still do it. Drugs have killed millions over the years. And today's opioid crisis is just the latest means of destroying myself. And yet, generation after generation pursues a high from drugs. Our government spends millions in anti-smoking campaigns and then makes the smoking of marijuana legal. This transgender, bisexual, queer, homosexual, lesbian, gay, and a whole host of other ways that human beings have, as Paul puts it, perverted the natural order of God's creation. So Paul, in that text in 2 Timothy 3, warns of three ways that sin is manifested through this self-perversion. He says, they, narcissistic people are disobedient to parents. Jacob obviously excelled at that. They're not lovers of good. Esau was the poster boy for that. And then, no self-control. And Laban, who goes racing off half-cocked to chase down Jacob and kill him and take his family back. We see it in our text. By listing disobedience to parents, the apostle wants to understand that God's design for the family and even his design for government or any authority is being undermined today by our culture. It's leading to confusion. It's leading to destructive behavior. 
Look at how policemen have become the cultural boogeyman today. How parents are mocked by our media. Teachers are made powerless in the classroom. Disobedient to parents. Disobedient to authority. Not lovers of good. Why do you think we have terms like she's a goody two-shoes or he's a brown noser or they just think they're better than anyone else? A student who gets good grades in a class where people are not pursuing those good grades themselves, that student that gets the good grades has to turn their paper over so that other people don't see what grade they got because then everybody else would be mad because they're blowing the curve. Our educational system dumbs down the curriculum so students can't become all that God wants them to be. Propose something politically that would be beneficial to the country, though it might not be necessarily beneficial to the senators or the House of Representatives, and you become the latest media target. And then he says there's no self-control. Disobedient to parents not lovers of what is good, and without self-control. Do I even have to speak about that? Just walk into a grocery store sometime. Sit in a classroom, and you watch the kids rule the parents or the teachers. Why do we have a problem with obesity in our country in the United States? Because it's easier to sue McDonald's and Burger King than it is to say no to a Big Mac. Yet Jesus was a model of self-control. He controlled his tongue. He controlled his powers. He controlled his schedule and even his temper. He trusted God in everything. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He did all things good even obeying his parents perfectly, as Luke 2 tells us. We are called Christians for a reason. We are supposed to be Christ-like. If we have been changed from the inside out, if we are boasting in Christ alone, as we sang this morning, if we understand the amazing grace of God, then why don't we look more like Him? The fifth tendency of narcissistic individuals, whether they're professing Christians or whether they are in the world, is that unbelief makes people self Poisoning. Self-poisoning. Amen. Yes. You know, most people would not purposefully drink from a bottle that had the sign of the skull and the crossbones on it. You know, the sign of poison. Most people wouldn't walk over there and go, oh, poison, here, let me drink it down. And yet those very same people make it a regular habit in their lives to poison their spirit and their soul. Paul warns against three more characteristics by which we poison the inner self that then comes out in the outside. He says we are ungrateful, unappeasing, or as another translation puts it, unforgiving, and reckless or rash. In a culture that promotes, you deserve it. Why would you need to think, thank anyone for something that they've done for you? <laughs> if you deserve it, then they should be doing that for you. If, if somebody does something good for you, it's because of who you are. They should be doing nice things to you. They should be blessing you in some way. You don't need to thank them for what they should be doing. But that kind of attitude is self-defeating, isn't it? It leads to bitterness and anger when people don't do to you what you think they should be doing for you. 
It's no longer the question, is the cup half empty or half full? It's absolutely full or nothing. People want the cup full and overflowing in their lives. Instead of being grateful for all the blessings that God gives to each of us every day because we are Americans, our culture teaches a victim mentality. You see, Laban, Laban was not grateful for the blessings that God gave him through Jacob, and so he kept changing Jacob's wages ten times to try to get a better deal on the whole thing. And Jacob failed to thank Laban even though everything that Jacob had really came from Laban. Jacob arrived with the clothes on his back, nothing else. He left with four wives, all their children, huge amounts of cattle and and, uh, donkeys and sheep and you name it. But has he got a thankful heart? No. Our culture is filled with with people who have ulcers, headaches, and a whole host of other physical ailments that have been connected to unforgiveness and not being grateful. But the sin nature rules too strongly for most people to let go of those things that they feel have hurt them in their past. But then there's Jesus hanging there on the cross, and looking out over the people who have beaten him, who have scourged him, who have spit on him, who have mocked him, and now they have crucified him. And what's he say? Father, forgive them. Where is Christ in you? Are you poisoning yourself with unforgiveness? With an ungrateful heart? Or do you do what Paul says in Ephesians? Be kind, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And then there's the sixth tendency. Narcissistic people have unbelief that makes people self-preserving. Self-preserving. Now, you might think that that's kind of a a strange point. What is wrong with being self-preserving? Don't we have the right to self-defense? Our government tells us that we do. And certainly, I think in the scriptures, there are implications that we have the right to defend ourselves. And isn't it right to eat healthy? Isn't it right to drive safely and in every other way to seek to be safe in this world? The answer is not necessarily. Not necessarily. You see, it's this belief in self-preservation that makes us fail to serve the Lord, fail to be willing to sacrifice for His kingdom, whether on the mission field or whether it's here in our own communities, to give up our time, our talents, our treasure, to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, Paul warns against three characteristics of a narcissist. He says, They are unholy, they are slanderous, and they are treacherous. Unholy, slanderous, treacherous. He could have told, he should have told that to the three characters that we have in our text, Esau, Jacob, and Laban. Not one of them lived a holy life. What does it mean to be holy? We often think of being holy. We confuse being holy with being righteous. Righteous means that we live rightly. But being holy means to be set apart for God. To be set apart for God's glory. To live for Him. So you can be a person who 
acts rightly, but is still unholy. You can be a person that goes to church all the time, that, that prays regularly, that reads the Bible, and still be unholy. Why? Because you're narcissistic. Because you don't live for the glory of God day in and day out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But how many, even as Christians, live that way? God calls us to not be self-preserving, but to be God-glorifying in everything that we do. We don't go on a mission trip unless we can stay in a hotel. We cling to our homes and our finances to make sure that we can afford to live comfortably and that our kids can live comfortably. We limit our amount of children that we have in our family to one, two, or three because we want them to be able to have all the benefits and we don't, can't afford to have more children than that. And on goes the list. In the book many of us are studying by J.D. Greer called Gaining by Losing, he tells us of many members of his congregation who have moved out of suburban, nice communities, nice houses into inner city apartments so that they could bring Christ to the least reached. How many Christians are willing to do that? To sacrifice for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. Most people want to move to greater safety, to greater security, not moving to a more dangerous place. Like Jacob, we want to protect our reputation. So he slandered Laban in front of Laban's families and associates because Laban had threatened him. Jacob proved treacherous to the welfare of Esau by taking away his birthright and his blessing. He then manipulated things of Laban to go his own way. And that way, he was the mirror image of the vast majority of human beings, including many who profess to be Christians. There's a saying... He threw him under the bus. You heard that saying? You know what it means, right? Even if they're your best friend, to preserve myself, I'll give them up. We see it happening in politics all the time, right? Somebody gets arrested, and so what do they do? In order to get a better deal, throw somebody else under the bush, bus. The Salem witch trials, that's exactly what that was all about. For those of you who are not familiar with how that went around, the Salem witch trials, if you confessed to being a witch, but then you turned in somebody else, then you could be forgiven and be free. You didn't have to prove that you were a witch or weren't. You just had to say that somebody else was, and they were automatically a witch because you said it. And so people were constantly tossing somebody else under the bus to preserve their own selves, their own lives. But our Lord Jesus, he does just the opposite, doesn't he? While we betray and deny him, the Lord Jesus does everything to help us, including going to a cross and dying for us, and then sending his Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to promote our well-being. How well are we living out Christ in us? Our Lord Jesus Christ has set us an example that we should follow in his steps. Are we narcissistic, like our culture? Or have we become God-glorifying, like Christ? Well, there is one final thing that, that Paul says in that 2 Timothy 3 passage that really is the larger picture of all that's going on in chapters 29 and 30 between Jacob 
and Laban and their families. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. A few weeks ago, the associate pastor of Greg Laurie uh, Harvest Ministries committed suicide. He was the head of their counseling branch, a writer of books on overcoming. He himself had battled depression, and then at the age of 30, he decided to stop battling. People who have struggled with depression can understand that. I can't. Oh, it's not that I can't understand depression. But because I know of a stronger Savior, a Savior who has said that I will be with you, that all power, all authority has been given unto me, that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Because I believe in that Savior no matter what we go through in life. You see, if it's okay because I'm depressed to commit suicide, is it also okay if I have cancer to commit suicide? Or if I have some other debilitating disease to commit suicide? Is that okay? We have a Savior who can transform our lives. But we also have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. Jacob and Laban both had visions from God, but they lived for themselves. And there are far too many Christians who fit that category as well. They're self-focused, self-centered Practical atheists claiming to be Christians while living without the power of God being evident in how they live. You see why I said that Paul's description of the end times are not really much different from how humanity has lived from the beginning of time. But we don't have to live that way. We have a Savior He has broken the power of fear. He has broken the power of sin. He has broken the power of death. And he has said to us, if you come to me, I will give you rest. If you will come to me, I will give you strength. If you will come to me, I will give you hope. Will we come? Will we come to him or will we keep seeking ourself and be self-focused and self-centered? And so I ask you in conclusion, hey guys, I missed the seventh point. I just shared the seventh point without giving you the heading. Unbelief makes people self-pretending. We pretend to be okay. We pretend to be Christians. We pretend to believe. But we have a form of godliness. But deny the power thereof. And so in conclusion, are you honest with yourself about how much like Jacob like Esau, like Laban, you were and perhaps you still are. We need to examine ourselves, Paul says, to see if we are in the faith. Is our faith real? Or are we pretenders? Will you let Jesus Christ transform your self-focused life into a God-centered life? He will do that if you will let him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, a God-centered life 
how different that is from the way the rest of the world lives. Even those who profess some kind of religious faith, they end up thinking that life is about them. Forgive us, O God, for we have before us a model of Jesus Christ who is the opposite of all of these things. We would just ask that you would begin to take the blinders off our eyes and let us turn from being self-promoting, self-preserving, and all the other selves that we just discussed. Manifesting those characteristics that Paul said are part of being in the end times. And that you would open up our eyes to see that, that we might confess our sins, for you have promised to be faithful and just and forgive those sins and to purify us from all that unrighteousness. Work in our hearts today. If there are those, Lord God, who are there sitting in these pews, that as they look at their lives, they say, you know what, I've been a pretender. I've been a pretender. I pray that today the Holy Spirit would open their hearts, that they might cry out to you, and that you might begin to empower them to live out the gospel. And for those who have truly are believers, their lives have been changed, and yet they still are looking for happiness, still pursuing that in their life rather than passionately pursuing the glory of God. And then I pray that you would begin to change their hearts, change their minds, change their thoughts so that they, like Christ, will begin to live a God-centered life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.